Today I'm continuing the sermon series, which we've entitled, What's Next?, in which I want us to look at the things that I believe God has for us in the coming days. The next steps that God would have us follow is we proceed with ministries. As we approach the completion of our church building, there are a number of ministries we've already launched in recent days, and others we will be launching as we have the facilities to support those efforts. At the end of this series, on November 22nd, it is our hope and plan to have our grand opening celebration where the rest of the church will be available. We want to invite the whole community to come and celebrate together. But as I said last week, if by some chance it turns out that the construction ends up taking longer and we're not ready, then we will celebrate it at Christmas time. So there's no downside to this. Uh, One way or the other, we are going to have a grand celebration and invite the whole community for it. So today my sermon... I thought that was the piano for a second. I thought... um, Today, my sermon is entitled, I Was a Stranger. There's a chorus. Today, my sermon is, I Was a Stranger. And as in all the sermons in this series, this is based upon the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 25, in which Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. For whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. As a church, we have taken these words as Jesus' specific instructions to us, instructions about what we should be doing to serve the poor and the needy in our community. We have in the last couple of weeks talked about our intention to feed the hungry, our intention to meet the needs of the thirsty, especially those who are spiritually thirsty. And today we want to talk about Jesus' comment, I was a stranger and you invited me in. I think first we need to ask ourselves, what does Jesus mean by this? What exactly is he talking about? What does he mean by a stranger and how does that apply to us today? Well, certainly some of the people here in our church are stranger than others, but I... (laughs) I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus was talking about foreigners, those who are out of place, who are not at their home. Some translations of this passage even read, I was a foreigner, and at least one says, I was without a home. Either way, the meaning is the same. Jesus is telling us that we should care for the ones who are not from here, those who are displaced, the refugees, the homeless, or those who simply don't fit in, who have not found a home. And again, as in all of these cases, Jesus said, if we will do that for those in need, the least of these, it is actually that we are doing it for him. Now, Jesus' words here about welcoming strangers and foreigners is completely consistent with all of the Old Testament's admonitions to the Jewish people about taking care of the foreigners. In fact, passage that I want us to look at, uh, if we can put this up from Leviticus, this is Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34. It reads, when a foreigner, read stranger there, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, this passage in Leviticus tells the Israelites that they should welcome foreigners or strangers because they, the the Jewish people, knew what it felt like to be a foreigner. They had the sojourn in Egypt, which started out well enough, but then ended up being a time of slavery for them before God brought them out of slavery in Egypt. Well, the same principle, brothers and sisters, applies to us. 
Of all people, we here should know what it means to be a foreigner in a new place, since most of us are exactly that. We have a few native-born Mexicans in the congregation today, but most of us come from various towns and cities or countryside in the U.S. or Canada or from the Netherlands or Brazil or Italy and from many other places. And all of us who have now made this our home understand, whether we're here full-time or only part of the year, we understand what it means to be a foreigner in a strange place, for this not to be our home. And... I think we all still struggle sometimes, especially with the language difference. And so we all know what it means to be a foreigner. We are all grateful that the country and the people of Mexico have welcomed us. They have allowed us to make our homes here now. But while we should be aware and sensitive to what it means to be a stranger in a strange land, a foreigner who is somewhere else, how important it is for us to be welcomed, sometimes we forget that. Particularly, I'm thinking of a, a time a few years ago when I was at our men's breakfast from our church, which is a wonderful event, on a Tuesday morning, and during a conversation, one of the men who was there was telling several of us about a Mexican young person that he knew who had moved, legally moved, to the United States, but was having trouble because she was not yet fluent in English, and she was living in a city that had adopted an English-only policy in their schools, meaning they required everyone to speak English, and they were unwilling to make any accommodation for people who are not yet fluent in English. Well, at this point, one of the older and crustier of our church brothers, I'll call him Wilberforce. Wilberforce spoke up and said, and rightly so, if they're going to live in the United States, they should be required to speak only English. At which point I turned to Wilberforce, and as gently but firmly as I could, I said, Wilberforce? You live full-time in Mexico, but I happen to know for a fact that you speak almost no Spanish. But you think a Mexican who lives in the United States should be forced to speak English. Tell me how that's supposed to work. At that point, the only response I got was a few seconds of... <laughs> and then we went on. It was not my effort to try to make him feel bad, but sometimes we forget that we need to welcome others in the same way that we have been welcomed. We need to extend the same grace to them that has been extended to us. We are always very pleased when we experience the graciousness and the welcoming spirit of the Mexican people, but we need to remember that we need to be welcoming as well. The front of our bulletin, for example, is a picture of the border fence between the U.S. and Mexico near Tijuana. While I know many people in the U.S., including some presidential candidates, have very strong feelings about immigration issues, every economist and sociologist who has studied this issue, every one that I'm aware of, has agreed that the United States economy could not survive without the strong backs and the strong work ethic of the Mexicans who have come to the United States, whether legally or not. And many people, many experts are saying within the next 20 years, the United States is going to have to be aggressively paying Mexicans to move to the United States because we need their labor. So this matter of welcoming foreigners gets very practical very fast. Now, I'm, Jesus' words were not necessarily intended to address issues between nation states, but they were meant for us, his followers. So as with the other words of Jesus in Matthew 25, Lakeside Presbyterian Church is going to take very seriously the command that we welcome the stranger 
and the foreigner in every way that we can. The most direct and immediate way we're going to do this is in our upcoming Tour of Love and Hope outreach in Guadalajara. In that program, our intention is to reach out to the many South American refugees, people from further south, who are now immigrants who live on the streets in Guadalajara. That's scheduled for early next month. You'll remember a few weeks ago, uh, Martin Turner came and spoke briefly to us about the plans for that outreach, which will involve providing food and blankets, friendship, and the gospel message to those South Americans who are now living on the streets there. Now, I'd hope to have Martin back today to give us an update, but Martin and his wife Karina were in Mexico City, and Karina is pregnant, it turns out. And while they were visiting, uh, she visited doctors there, and they identified that she's had some complications with her pregnancy. We're hoping those complications are not too serious. I encourage you to be praying for Martina and Karina in that. But the doctors did say that for now, Karina and Martine, should, she shouldn't travel. They should stay there. And so we don't have Martine with us today. As soon as they return, we will expect uh, to have an update from him on the plans for that refugee outreach. Now, that is the beginning. And other ways that we can find to have special outreach for refugees, either from South America and Guadalajara or elsewhere, we want to be doing that as one way that we can focus on welcoming the strangers here in our area and in our community. Another way that we want to do that is by welcoming those who are new and not yet settled here. Those who don't fit in, those who don't seem to belong, those whom others might find unlovely, or simply who aren't like us and who are supposed to be the people that we reach out to. Now, the first part of this expanded outreach I expect will be that we identify the people who are new in our community and aren't yet settled. You know, they don't know where to buy stuff. They don't know where you pay your electric bill. They don't know any of those kinds of things. We were all right there. Do you remember that? I still find things on a regular basis that I don't know the answers to. I want us to be able to identify the people who have just moved here, who are not yet settled in. Perhaps we will work with local real estate agents. We have some in our congregation. To identify people who have recently purchased or rented a new home. We will, I'm planning to offer some sort of community orientation seminars where we can help them understand, here's where you go to get things, here's what you need to do in order to meet the various needs that you have. I want us to launch a good old-fashioned welcome wagon approach where we have gift baskets. And when somebody's new to the community, I want some of our lovely, welcoming church people to knock on their door and offer them a gift basket and make them know that we would love for them to come and visit our church, make them feel welcome. This will be especially facilitated as we begin some of the new social outreach activities that I talked about last week. When we have a cafe and an art gallery in our narthex, when we have regular movie nights here in the sanctuary, televised sporting events, special parties for holiday fiestas, and so on. Anybody new to our community, I want them to have a half a dozen different things that they can come to here at Lakeside Presbyterian Church that they can begin to feel as though they fit in here so that they are no longer feeling like strangers because we have invited them in. Our goal will be to meet people when they arrive, to welcome them warmly, to invite them to come and share in some of the many exciting things that are happening in our church, and that they start to feel as though Lakeside Presbyterian Church is part of their home here in Mexico. And of course, the new residents in our area are not the only ones who may feel like strangers. Many people who have been here for a long time still feel alone and lonely, even alienated. And so we want to take steps to help reach out to those people, people who have lost spouses and are still in grief, people who are living alone and lonely, people who may be in nursing homes. 
Those who, perhaps simply because of recent circumstances, have been left alone, and they feel like a stranger, even if they've lived here for a while. Our church will be making concerted efforts to identify and reach out to these people who are in grief, who are alone, and make them know that they are loved by God. And because of that, we want God to love them through us. It's my hope that we will, before too long, be able to offer van transportation, for instance, to some people who are, have limited mobility, especially some of the ones who live in nursing homes. I would love if this whole section over here was full of wheelchairs and walkers on any given Sunday morning so that those people, and we make the effort to get them, to bring them here, to make them feel at home. I would love nothing better than that. And for those who cannot come here, we will be looking for ways in which we can take church to them as we develop this outreach. Not only offer them communion, but perhaps offer services, singing, whatever else we can do to make them feel that this is a place where we care about them because Jesus told us to. We will also reach out and welcome those who are strangers because of addictions or bad life choices in their past. Because someone has been broken in the past and has done something that made them an outcast or made them a stranger does not mean that Jesus does not love them anymore. Addicts, sinners, rejects from polite society, strangers in our midst, those are the people we are called to serve. It has been rightly said that the church is to be a hospital for sinners and not just a resort for the saved. This is true and we need to take it seriously because in three of the Gospels, Jesus says to us this, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In a recent article, Pastor Rick Warren very wisely wrote that when we are followers of Jesus, and I quote, Your perspective changes. You no longer regard people the way you used to. They're not objects. They're priceless souls that Jesus shed his precious blood for. They're worthwhile and they're valuable. I don't care if a person is a coke, uh, coke smoking crack junkie in the alley. He or she is still valuable to God. We must look at people not as objects, but with a broken heart. Jesus loves everyone, even the people who have made very bad life choices. And he tells us that we are to be the ones to show those people that he loves them. Here in our church, we are going to do everything we can and as many creative ways as we can to do exactly that. As I mentioned last week, we, we are moving forward with hosting meetings here for people with drug and alcohol addictions. We will provide those people with a welcoming church home and we will give them the help they need to the extent that we are able. And we will be alert to other kinds of needs that exist, that we might welcome more people who don't feel that they fit in in other churches or in other places or even in this community. We want them to be part of our church. We want them to know that Jesus loves them. And we will extend ourselves to that because we were told to. This will include those who are imprisoned and those who are ex-prisoners. I'll get to that in more detail in three weeks when we consider Jesus' statement, I was in prison and you visited me. Our community group has already begun to be involved in prison ministry because Rebecca, who is very involved in prison ministry, and Carla as well, they are already reaching out in love to the women in the prison, uh, women's prison in Guadalajara. We are going to be doing much more of that, and I'll talk about that more in three weeks. The point here is that to God, every person is a priceless soul, a person whom Jesus died to save, whether it's Mother Teresa or a coke-smoking crack junkie. As Rick Warren says, they are all worthwhile, they are all valuable because Jesus loves them and he told us to love them. 
We will also work even harder to make sure that everyone here feels as though they fit in, that you feel you belong here, that this is your home. Because let's face it, there are many times even we can feel alone. Even when in a crowd, you can feel alone. One of the ways that we're going to be doing that is by expanding our church community groups. More than half of our congregation currently is involved in one of our small weekly community groups, which is where we go beyond just sitting next to other people and listening to a sermon or singing a song on Sunday, where we learn to be Christian family to one another. By a show of hands, how many of you all are currently involved in a community group? Okay. Is it good for you? Do I hear an amen? The people in the community group Carolyn and I are part of will will often say that it is the the best part of their week. That Monday nights when we get together, that they, that's very valuable to them. Now, it didn't start out that way. I think at first it was awkward. You know, you're a little uncomfortable before you find your legs in terms of a group. But if you did not raise your hand just then, then you are missing out. We have a wide variety of different kinds of community groups. Some of them are book study groups. Some of them are dinner groups. Some of them are very service-oriented. There is a wide variety. Each group identifies for themselves what they are going to be in terms of from week to week and activities. The point is that we gather together as family. As I described to somebody recently, our group is a dinner group. And when we gather around the table and we have dinner together, we then sit for a couple hours, and it's like a wonderful family. We will laugh uproariously about things. We will cry. We will share our hurts, and we share our victories. We are family to each other. And that's what Jesus calls us to be, to be able to laugh together and cry together and share with each other. And that's what we want to have expand in all of our church so that there are more community groups. We haven't talked about community groups a lot lately. I haven't announced them for the very simple reason that the groups we have are overfull in capacity. We started out saying, okay, you shouldn't have more than 8 or 10 in order to have an effective group. Well, some of us are running 12 or 14 already. And so we haven't been able to invite people to join because we haven't had groups. Well, we are right now in the process of launching several new groups. There will be a group that's specifically intended for women and and one or two other groups that will be starting right away. And we want to give you the opportunity to sign up for those. And again, it feels awkward at first. People say, I don't want to give up an evening. I, I I don't know about that. I'm not... Trust me, my brothers and sisters, if you will just make the effort, you will find it an immensely rewarding thing. And it will take you beyond the point where you are just a passive spectator to somebody else standing up here talking for an hour a week. That's what we should be. Brothers and sisters, family to each other. And we will have sign-up sheets. We will talk about that a little bit later. Later on, you can have people signing up for groups as we go along. There's one more way that as Christians we need to be welcoming to foreigners and strangers. And and this is a harder one. Um, This is one that I I don't have specific recommendations about what we're going to do, but I have some ideas about what we shouldn't be doing. And this is finding ways to love our enemies. The worst kind of strangers are the strangers that we consider our enemies. Jesus was very clear that we are not to live by the standards of the world. We're we're told the world thinks we should love our friends and hate our enemies. We are told that we should do the crazy, impossible thing of loving our enemies. This was the meaning of the passage of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. Because the Samaritan, people don't realize this anymore, the Samaritan and the Jews hated each other. The Jews thought the Samaritans were heretics and they were bitter, bitter enemies. 
the Jews would walk all the way around uh, Samaria to get between Galilee and Jerusalem because they didn't even want to walk through the countryside where the Samaritans lived. And yet this story in Luke 10 of the Good Samaritan is about a Samaritan who goes out of his way and spends his own money after several Jewish religious leaders wouldn't, spends his own money to take care of a Jewish man who has been beaten up by robbers. And you need to understand the Samaritan and the Jews were enemies in order to understand that story. Even more directly in the Gospel of Mark, the fifth chapter, Jesus says this to us. And he's saying it to us. You have heard that it was said, love your enemies, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. And in that regard, being perfect means be loving and welcoming even to your enemies. We are told unequivocally, as Christians, we are to love our enemies and pray for them, even while they may be persecuting us. This is one of the important things, according to Jesus, that defines us as being the children of our Father in heaven. It is not an option. We are not given the option to love and pray for our enemies. We are told to do it. I confess that while I don't have any specific recommendations, as I said a moment ago, about what our church will do positively to fulfill this command, I do have some things to say about things we should not be doing if we are truly loving and praying for our enemies. As a pastor, I get sent a lot of emails and videos and Facebook posts. In fact, it's gotten so much that I'm not even on Facebook anymore. If you tried to friend me and I didn't respond, I'm sorry, I don't do that anymore. Unfortunately, many of the things that I receive tend to be quite aggressive. They are very anti-something. They are anti a political candidate, anti a political party, anti a program, anti a religion or a religious group. Brothers and sisters, we all have a right to belong to the political party of our choice. We all have a right to support whichever candidate we wish or to advocate for a particular issue. That is within our rights. We all have a right to feel strongly about the evil that is being done in the world. But as Christians, we do not have permission from God to malign or despise or hate the people we disagree with. That's a sin. And that even includes those that we count as our enemies. The worst of the worst. We are not to hate. We are to pray for. By definition, if we consider them an enemy, we are supposed to pray for them. Jesus told us, love our enemies, even if they are actively persecuting us. So even though I don't currently have plans for what we will do in a positive sense to show love for our enemies, I think it's clear that we as Christians should not be writing or creating or forwarding anything to other people that does not show love. This is the rule, and I want you all to apply it to your own life. Before you write an email message or send a Facebook post or forward a video, I want you to ask a question. Does this reflect love even for my enemies that Jesus told me to have? If the answer is yes, hit sin. If the answer is not yes, if you cannot say this reflects the love that Jesus told me to have even for terrible people, even for my enemies, if you cannot say yes to that, then don't do it.
Do not be forwarding this kind of stuff. Or at very least, don't send it to me. <laughs> Here at Lakeside Presbyterian Church, we are going to be seeking in every way we can to love our enemies, not despise them, not express hate for them, not demean them, not say terrible things about people who simply don't belong to the political party that we are part of. We will love our enemies as best we can and to pray for them and not demean them. We will welcome the strangers and the foreigners. We will invite them in. We will all be part of that. And I invite your participation in the programs as we begin to identify them, and I ask you especially to pray that we might have wisdom, that we might have clear direction from God as to how we can do that well. Please pray for us. Amen.